Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good day, good friends. It's the Bill Press Pod, and we welcome you or welcome you back to our latest edition. Today, focused on the media. You know, wherever you get your news today, in print, on television or radio or online, you can't help but wonder what the hell is going on. Front pages are filled with crazy stories like Taylor Swift working for the Pentagon and fixing the Super Bowl. Several news outlets have admitted that they've published stories, at least initially, written by AI. The networks still broadcast only a half hour of news every day, as if that's all we have time for or interest in. TV shows still feature Donald Trump as a legitimate candidate instead of a man already found liable for sexual assault and soon to be on trial for attempting to overthrow the government. And meanwhile, hundreds of journalists have lost their jobs as every major news organization has experienced loss of revenue and over 360 local newspapers have folded in just the last two years. So is this the end of journalism as we know it? Well, I hope not, but let's find out. Today's guest knows the world of journalism better than anybody else. He's Brian Stelter, former media reporter for the New York Times, former host of CNN's Reliable Sources, and his most recent book is Network of Lies. Of course, all about Fox News. Brian Stelter, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It's good to connect with you again. Love to be here. Thank you. Well, so Brian, look, I, we got to start with the biggest news story, maybe the biggest news story of all time, that Taylor Swift and her boyfriend uh, are working with the Pentagon to fix the Super Bowl game for Joe Biden. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> here's a question. How does something that's so obvious bullshit get on the front pages of all the papers and the, and the national news? Oh man! Well, you're you're, you're talking to a, a dedicated Swifty uh, here. I just uh, ordered Good. the vinyl and the CD of the next album uh, for my kids, but also for my for myself. Uh, I, I think the answer is it's, it's happening on two levels, right? The the noise about Taylor Swift was on two levels in MAGA media. One was about who's she going to endorse? Is she going to endorse Biden? And I viewed that as like an intimidation thing. Don't you endorse Biden? Our, we will turn on you, right? Stay out of politics. It was yeah. a kind of a version of the stick to sports rhetoric that we used to hear on the right uh, mm -hmm. with regards to the NFL, um, which of course is only deployed in uh, for selfish reasons for, for political gain, right? And we know that. So there was one level of just, is she going to get involved in the campaign? And that's an, I, that's an interesting reality-based conversation, I think, Bill. Then there was this, unhinged conspiracy theory out there, right? That she's part of a psyop, the NFL and the CIA and the Pentagon, everybody's all in on this deep state plot to make Taylor Swift the most famous person in the world in order to use her to defeat Donald Trump. And that, that I think is what is worth studying because that comes from a deep 
psychological place, like this sense of what do you call it, Bill? Like these, there's these, it's mostly these white guys who think they're losing their country mm-hmm. and they think everybody's in on it, right? That the, that everybody, yeah. even Taylor Swift is in on it somehow. But does it, isn't it also maybe the latest example of these wild ass conspiracies, you know, that start on some media site somewhere, right? Yes. Um, some video and then they get picked up and they keep building up and pretty soon, Everybody's talking about them. You're, but you're totally right. They start off in a fringe place on some random X feed, you know, from some person you've probably hopefully never heard of, but then it reaches a host on Newsmax or OAN. And, you know, then it gets up to Fox, you know, there's like a funnel here. There's a, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it definitely happens. Although in, in this with the Taylor Swift, I would say it's a little more, a little more complicated because it was Jesse Waters on Fox who brought up that Pentagon psyop, uh, psyop idea uh, a number of weeks ago. And, you know, the, the problem, one of the many problems with hosts like Jesse Waters is that they can always just say, I was kidding. I was joking. It was a joke. They can always fall back to, you never know if I'm being serious. Mm-hmm. And yet, and, and that gets to this deeper thing, which is the people who are pushing these exotic, crazy conspiracies, they don't believe it. The entertainers who spout this stuff don't believe it, but they know their audience might. It's a type of fraud. They're preying yeah. on the fears of a far-right minority that's incredibly cut off from reality. Um, people who've opted out of real news and reality-based information, they've opted into a conspiracy world instead. Um, but I think that that uh, you're, you're 100% right about the way that it happens. You know, one random host, one random social media feed, and then others glom onto it because they feel like the audience wants to believe it or, or, and then of course, there's a flip side, which is, uh, the criticism, the, the, the mockery of it, the condemnation of it, the fact checking of it, and it takes on a life of its own, right? <laughs> it does. It's sort of, uh, listening to what you were saying about Jesse Waters, it's kind of the Tucker Carlson syndrome too, right? Where Tucker would never come out and say he thought that Donald Trump told, stole the election, but he would say, or I mean that Joe Biden stole the election, right? But that people are saying that, and a lot of people believe that, right? Right. <laughs> right? A lot of people have questions. A lot of people have concerns. They should be addressed. Yeah. It all reminds me of this book by Peter uh, Pomerantsev. A number of years ago, he was writing about Russia. He was writing about the sense that you never know what's true. You can't know what to believe, that Putin controls what is what is you know real information. And he wrote a book titled, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. And I think that is what applies to this kind of uh, you know, political conspiracy industrial complex. The idea that yeah. anything is possible, anything might be true. Maybe Taylor Swift is a psyop, you know, who, who knows who is there to tell you if it's true or not. Um, sure. Anything's possible. They're out to get us. They will stop at nothing. So, you know, I know it's hilarious. I think it's, you know, the, all these, you know, the, the nonsense of bullshit about Taylor is hilarious. It's also like on another level, kind of very serious and scary that you have folks who, are so unhinged they might want to believe this stuff. Right? Yeah, it's this uh, embrace of disinformation on the far right, which you've been writing about and talking about for a long time, right? Maybe this is the worst example of. By the way, it's just getting this- a lot darker over time. You know, yeah, was, yeah. You know, only a decade ago that a reporter named Craig Silverman at BuzzFeed used the term fake news to describe actually fake mm. news, something with you know, articles that were made up designed to deceive you. And, you know, famously in 2016, there were headlines saying the Pope had endorsed Donald Trump. You know, th- those were fake news stories. They were pretty, um, they were pretty unsophisticated, you know, like that's it's yeah. pretty, pretty yeah. basic bullshit. What's happening is 
this, these phenomena are becoming more sophisticated, more complicated, more layered, coming from more directions. You know, as we're saying here, randos on X and threads who can launch these theories. Uh, so it's, it's become a lot more, it's like going from a 2d image of fake news to a three or 4d version. Mm. By the way, just as an aside, um, we have to admit, I guess it is rather rich of Fox news to come out against celebrity endorsements, right? <laughs> I mean, look at the celebrities they've had on the air and look at the celebrity they put in the white house, right? A hundred percent. And he, he, Trump benefits from, from celebrity culture and from, at least he had, he, he did in 2016, maybe, maybe not anymore. I mean, there's, there's also just this, there's this constant, there's this constant low level hum of, um, Real America versus right celebrities, Hollywood, the pop culture, all of that. And yet, when one of those celebrities says something even mildly positive about Trump or the Republican Party, uh, Fox ends up in cheers. So I, you know, it's it's incredibly hypocritical, and and I think a lot of people see right through it. Yeah. So a related issue, um, I've been thinking about watching this is how everything today in the media seems to be, or more and more, more and more in the media, seems to be driven by clicks. Brian, knowing we're going to be talking, I was struck just seeing something. Uh, it was a comment at New York Times did a recent article about Fox News, and they quoted one staffer who left Fox News, and he said, quote, the single phrase they said over and over again was, this is going to outrage the viewers, right? That's, <laughs> what, they, that's what they were looking for. I mean, we are more and more click-driven, right? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And then I would say there's a little more interesting, complicated answer, which is that the some of the business models for media are actually kind of moving away from um, from you know clickbait-driven model. Uh, this this collapse of the messenger last week, people might have heard of this. Three hundred journalists yeah, uh, losing their yeah. jobs. The messenger suddenly shutting down. The messenger was built for a clickbait culture where they tried to write lots and lots of stories every day, aggregate as much as they can, get as many page views as they could, and that's actually a pretty outdated model. That's increasingly mm, not the model for a successful news brand or information brand. And yet, even though the business model doesn't support that kind of clickbait website anymore. Uh, on a larger level, we are all living in much more of a clickbait-driven society and clickbait culture. So even though the business models are changing, it's more subscription-driven uh, on digital news and all of that, uh, we 100% are in an environment where – well, I think what it is, Bill, is in an environment where you know media is fractured into a million pieces uh, – I think some people, some editors, some writers look for what we still have in common, what still unifies us, what can we still, you know, and and that becomes like clickbait, right? You know, oh, well, tell her stuff. She's incredibly popular. People will read an article, they'll talk about her. It's something we have in common. At least we all know who she is. And, you know, that does, that ends up being clickbait. And don't the clicks also drive the advertising revenue? Meaning, yes. It's just that as the tech, giants become even more giant. Uh, it's less successful to create a company like BuzzFeed. So BuzzFeed being an example of a decade ago, a combination of uh, click-driven ads, sponsored content, partnerships with brands, those kinds of um, those kinds of levers to pull on to create a digital media business aren't working as well as they used to. Uh, and, and so that's why you see brands like The Messenger going away, BuzzFeed fading away. Um, but I think that broader idea of, you know, 
everything is content. <laughs> everything right. is clickbait, right? I, I, I saw somebody saying, you know, Fox is, you know, airing Taylor Swift content 24-7, right? Uh, it's, you know, what is what is that about? Well, it is about outrage. It is about pushing people's buttons. Um, and it is about, I think, also wanting to have a, a common vocabulary. <laughs> because if we're fighting about Taylor Swift, at least we're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> right. Which, you so, know, I, it sounds kind of lame as I say it out loud, but um, uh, we, we live in a society, we live in a culture where there's there's not a lot of that commonality. There's not a lot of, you know, there's you know, very few shows that get more than 10 million viewers, for example. So when the Grammys are on and there's nearly 20 million viewers, at least that's something that a lot of people have in common. <laughs> right. Well, now, um, a lot of people have talked about this too, is that, the more advertising goes to the to on online, right, um, to the various various online uh, news operations, um, the less advertising goes to the local newspaper, and more and more local newspapers go out of business. A direct line, right? Do you agree? It is. It is a direct line. It's it's you know long long in the making. You know the. 10, 20 years ago, folks were worried about local news uh, eroding. And yet we would now love to be in an environment that we were in 10 years ago uh, because so many papers have closed since then and so many have, have shrunk. You know, now we have a, this phenomenon of ghost newspapers where uh, they technically are still being published or being, uh, you know, launched into the world, but there's so little content. <laughs> you know, there's maybe only one writer left. Um, and so the, the papers are being hollowed out in many, many markets. And that's a combination of, of advertising woes, but, but also, uh, you know, a, a shift toward digital that has made mm-hmm. print seem passe, especially for younger readers. And, you know, these, these, these things kind of eat, eat themselves, right? Because, or in a, what's it like? It's like a snowball rolling down the hill where it gets, you know, more and more momentum. Because if there are fewer subscribers, the rest of people have to pay more. The paper gets thinner. There's fewer reasons to subscribe. More people cancel, right? And so it, it goes on and on in that, in that really, um, in that really ugly way. And really, really, it's really, it's, it's, it's a very sad way to see. Yeah. I saw today um, 360 local papers that have been lost out of business in the last three years. And um, the prediction that one third of all of our local newspapers in the country will be gone by 2025, which is next year, Brian. I mean, uh, have has anybody that, you know, done an assessment of what that means to a local community when they lose their local paper? I mean, there's been really interesting and really dispiriting studies about this, showing that uh, when there is a, a decline in local news coverage, there is an increase in corruption. There's an increase in uh, abuse of taxpayer funds. There's an increase in uh, the kind of um, uh, bad behavior that journalists are there to ferret out and they're there to investigate and there to expose. You know, and I, I think we should like we should be clear before we go further. You know, this this old system wasn't perfect. Far from it. You know. Uh, you know, lo- local print papers uh, had a lot of flaws, um, uh, in, at least in some at least, at least in some cases, in some communities, uh, and a lot of communities didn't feel represented, even at the heyday of local news, uh, especially minority communities. But that said, the idea that there is somebody sitting in the back of the city council meeting, somebody keeping an, yeah. an eye on what's yeah. happening at the town, that that idea is critical. And now, what we have instead, in many cases, are just random people on Facebook trying to do that work. Some of whom are very good at it, but it's, it's uneven. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know where people are coming from. You don't, you don't, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very different and much more um, unpredictable and uneven local media landscape. Uneven is an important word here. There's an inequality that's baked into what's happening because it's communities. Uh, you know, there, there are affluent communities, for example, 
that have you know two local papers and still have competing local papers. You know, uh, I was up in I was up in Keene, New Hampshire, uh, a number of months ago. Uh, you know, a small, beautiful town, New Hampshire, a staff of seven plus reporters. You know, beautiful print paper, and it's because the the community, the town, has had this you know, history, there's this legacy, right? Going back to New Hampshire, New England uh, town hall meeting, you know, a culture, there's a culture that supports the paper. But the point is there are so many more communities that don't have that culture, that right. don't have that history, that aren't, that aren't um, uh, ensuring the survival of these, of these institutions. And, and if we take that experience and what we've seen to journalism writ large, you mentioned uh, the, failure of the messenger, 300 journalists fired, which a lot of people put up to mismanagement on the part of Jimmy Finkelstein. But we also have seen massive cuts at the Washington Post, right? At the Wall Street Journal, at CNN, at the LA Times. You, do, do we put that up to mismanagement or is that a sign of some larger problem with journalism writ large today that we should be worried about? So I think there's two kinds of cuts in journalism, and and one is you know the kind that I've seen in my 20 years blogging and writing about this business, and that's a reshaping, and a reshaping is something that I would say happens every year, every month, every year, every few years. Places trim three percent or five percent, and and that gets headlines. And what you don't see is that in that reshaping is they're also hiring people, they're also adding new functions, they're also launching new initiatives, and that reshaping doesn't really concern me, the way that this other. Uh, version uh, does. And, and the other version is what we're seeing now at the LA Times, for example, or at the Messenger, a place suddenly shutting down. The LA Times laying off huge number of, of staffers. That's more than reshaping. That's more than saying we need fewer people doing this job and more people doing that job. Because that, that's you know, a traditional function of business. Things are going to get reshaped. What we're seeing now in a number of places is just a real shrinking, a real um, uh, you know, a, a, a decline in the ambitions of the institution, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're not just going to, we're not trying to do less is more with less. We're just doing less. And it's, it, and that, and that is the story of the LA times, for example. Um, I do think every, every case is different. Uh, and so I, I try to, what I do try to look for, Bill, maybe this is too optimistic of me. I try to look for where are the positive signs. And right now there are not a whole lot, but there are positive, <laughs> yeah. there are positive signs. I mean, there are people who were laid off of the messenger who are going to launch startups that are going to be a big deal. Like there are people who who, who leave the LA times or the Washington post who are going to go out and they're going to build new things. And that's where the excitement is in journalism. Uh, it's after every forest fire, the little green shoots that emerge out of the soil. And, you know, I, 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 I look to that because I don't want to give up on this industry and I don't want to believe that it's doomed. Uh, but instead what's happening is, you're going to see all what I think is a, a lot of new brands, a lot of new things, a lot, a lot of new publications emerge from the ashes. What do you see as the role of AI in journalism today? Is it a threat, as a lot of people talk about, or is it also an opportunity, or is it both? It is definitely all of the above. Um, but if you put yourself in the shoes of a news executive, the CEO of a publisher, the head of a network, you know what you're thinking right now is, um, there's a financial, you know, calculation, financial, you know, uh, decisions to make, whether to sue these companies, how to insist on getting paid for the content that's being used to inform these, these machine learning models. Um, and, and so there's that financial decision. And also, should you take short-term payments from OpenAI or Microsoft or others? Should you insist on a longer-term relationship? You know, what, what is that financial relationship? And then there is this editorial, right? And even ethical conversation about, 
what 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 to do to how to use AI, how to incorporate it into journalism. Uh, mm-hmm. Semaphore, for example, made a deal with Microsoft uh, and announced uh, you know new product. They're going to use AI for research, but not for writing the stories. You're not not to replace the journalist, but to help the journalist. And we're going to hear a lot of those examples, a lot of those kinds of attempts to uh, seem open to the technology and wanting to use its use its capabilities without being used by it. And I think you know right now a lot of newsroom bosses feel like they're being used by it because these models are being trained on journalism content, being trained on the news. But then not linking back, not not giving necessarily credit or certainly giving financial uh, uh, gains to the places that it's learning from. You know what I mean? So it's it's in all of the above. It's but you know, look, I will I will say I've been pulled. You know, I've had top executives say to me, you know, this this does change everything. Not necessarily in a one year, two year time span, but you know, if there's the world's largest supercomputer that knows everything about everything. Uh, that does fundamentally disrupt the news business model. And we're never going to put the genie back in the bottle, right? I mean, <laughs> it's here. We're going to have to deal with it. And it's here. That- and I think it gets more interesting when we combine it with Apple Vision Pro, when we combine it with conversation about the metaverse, uh, which, you know, people in the last couple of years have made fun of the Mark Zuckerberg vision of the metaverse. But meta is still very much invested in that concept. Uh, obviously, Apple's very invested in this idea of a spatial computing and, uh, you know, being able to, to have a, a kind of adaptive reality. You know, when I put on Vision Pro, I felt like I was stepping into the future. I was all of a sudden seeing the future, um, not the, the future yeah. next year, but huh. the future 10 years from now. So the combination of, of that kind of uh, technology with AI, it, there is there is absolutely no going back. And news outlets, you know, can try to, what they're going to try to do is is take as full advantage as possible, benefit as much as possible, and uh, mm-hmm. suffer as few, of the, as, few as, as few of the downsides as possible. But can I just say one more thing? Let's be clear. These media companies are tiny compared to Google and Meta, compared to Alphabet and Meta and, you know, these tech giants. These tech giants have so much of the power. And if you are the New York Times, for example, which is a huge and incredibly successful news brand, it's a small fry compared to these big tech giants. Right. Uh, no, we need to take a quick break. Before we do, I just have to bounce back because we were talking uh, with one quick question. You were talking about people who basically reinvent themselves. They get fired. They come up in a new form. They develop a new format or a new outlet. Um, so I, I just have to ask you, two people, well-known people who have tried to bounce back on X with Elon Musk's help, Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon. How's that working out? I think it's too soon to tell. It really is. Uh-huh. It's not a cop out. It's the truth. Uh, Don's show has not launched yet. Uh, Tucker's doing all sorts of videos. He's allegedly in Russia trying to interview Putin. We'll see if that actually happens and if it streams anywhere. Yeah, I think with Tucker, he's lost some of his stature. There's there's no getting around that. Um, but he's trying to launch a subscription streaming service, and uh, you know I think we'll be able to be able to tell better in six months to a year if, if he's actually uh, been able to succeed in doing so. Okay. Uh, now we will take that quick break, and we'll be back with uh, Brian Stelter, a uh, former co-host, a uh, former host of CNN's Reliable Sources, uh, media journalist, and a good friend of the program. His most recent book is Network of Lies, all about Fox News. A quick break, and we'll come back continue our conversation about uh, the media landscape today with Brian Stelter. Well, there is one bright light in this field of journalism, I believe. It's not all dark. And that one bright light are the nonprofit news organizations that focus not on the bottom line, but on doing their job. And one of the best is an outfit called ProPublica. 
They're an independent nonprofit newsroom specializing in investigative journalism, 150 reporters whose mission is, to quote their website, to expose abuses of power and betrayals of the public trust by government, business, and other institutions, and to spur real-world change. Since 2008, they have broken a lot of big stories at ProPublica. I encourage you to check out their website. I think you'll be impressed what you see. ProPublica.org. ProPublica.org. You can sign up uh, and become one of their regular subscribers, or you can even maybe send them a little help. ProPublica.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much for joining us again today. And thanks to uh, Brian Stelter for coming back. Good friend, uh, long time at CNN uh, as host of Reliable Sources. Uh, and uh, has written a couple of books, at least one called Hoax and another most recent one, Network of Lies about Fox News. So, uh, Brian, we, we, we referenced a little earlier in talking about Taylor Swift, uh, Fox News and their creation of Donald Trump. I mean, I, I, I think you and I might agree that Donald Trump is really a creation of the media. If you look at The Apprentice, you look at all of his time on Fox and Friends, you look at yeah. CNN covering all his political rallies. Is the media they about to make Donald Trump put him in the White House again, the way they're treating him in this campaign? Uh, it depends on what you mean by media. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. How do you think the media is handled this campaign, particularly with Donald Trump. Well, the, the, his propaganda arm is right back in his corner. Outlets like Fox that tried to swear off Trump are back in his corner. So I think, number one, he has that going for him, no matter what else happens, no matter what else happens in the rest of the, the, the media. Within the news media, because Fox doesn't have a lot of news reporting, it's mostly yelling about other people's news. Um, within the news media, uh, I think it's a very, you know, it's, a, it's like an open daily dialogue, debate, argument, conversation about how to cover Trump. And the reality is 
you're going to have a hundred different places doing it a hundred different ways on a hundred different days. And I, and I say that cause I think it's, it's unsatisfying. It's, it's, it's frustrating for a lot of people, but it's the truth. Um, the, the truth is, you know, let's say the New York times, for example, there, are, there are some days where people are yelling at the New York times saying, why aren't you putting Trump's misdeeds and, and, and misconduct on the front page? Why are you burying his horrible rhetoric in page 10? And, and, you know, at the other time, you know, you have people arguing that Trump should be denied oxygen and shouldn't be covered at all. There's, there is a, yeah, you probably think I'm letting the media off the hook, but like, there's a little bit of a no, it's a little bit of a no win <laughs> dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reality is you are going to, you know, there are a hundred different ways on a hundred different days and a hundred different places doing it, you know, lots of different ways. Um, what, what I think is most important overall, if we take the try to step way back and accept that there's this wide variety of sources and lots of different ways to cover Trump, the more that Trump is talked about, right? The more that his, well, I, what do you, th- I think the more that, I think the more attention he gets, uh, the less appealing he gets to voters. Mm-hmm. And I know some people see it the other way. And I was, I'm curious yep. what you think, Bill. I think the more that you're exposed to Trump, uh, the more like exhausted the average American gets by him, gets of him. Uh, we, we lived through that in 2020. Uh, you know, if people did not want him reelected. Um, but I know there's a counter argument that, you know, that the, the, he wants attention, that he sucks up attention, that that's what that's what gives him his superpowers. I think that was true in 2016. I just don't think it's true anymore. Right. Um, I think your point is true. Uh, and I wrote a column about this when it came to the E. Jean Carroll jury. Uh, they saw Donald Trump up close. <laughs> they didn't like what they saw, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, but I guess my fear, Brian, is that the media tends to normalize Donald Trump as a just another typical candidate when, in fact, he's already been found guilty of sexual assault, right? He's, he's facing 91 counts, including overthrowing the United States government. So he's, he's not just another, any other candidate, right? There's a special baggage that he's got with him. I'm not sure. But um, the, 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 but that, then this becomes the interesting question. So if you're tracking a package for the nightly news and your package is 90 seconds long, should you be including a sentence that says Donald Trump, who was the disgraced twice impeached ex-president who was found liable of sexual assault, who is facing charges on 91 yeah. counts, who is X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Is that, do you have to include that language in every piece? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would say no. I know that some people would say yes, but that it becomes a question of like how. So how do you not normalize, right? How do and, and yeah, you don't have time to put all of that to tell the truth, right? You just don't have time. And I don't know what difference it actually makes. Now, I I understand it would make some Trump critics feel good. It would it would it, you know it would feel satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. And I myself, I do think that this country has short term memory loss as well as a. Um, a, a kind of a, tr- a trauma response, which is to try to forget some of what happened. And I, I, you know, and I, I think it's good to talk about that in a candid way. Like some yeah. of the, you know, when you're being gaslit, when you're being lied to, when you're being, when you're being intimidated, um, there's, there are reasons to suppress those memories. It's real. Yeah. But that's also why I say that the more he's in people's faces, the less appealing he is to, to many people. Uh, so you and I, Brian, have both done um, Morning Joe many times, um, uh, and I was struck this week um, by reports that uh, Morning Joe is Joe Biden's favorite program, that <laughs> he watches it every morning and is often on the phone with Joe Scarborough talking about things that they've covered in the news. Um, what was your reaction? 
Yeah, this was a really great piece by Alex Thompson at Axios, and it it put a fine point on the you know people's impression that you know Morning Joe is a popular show at the Biden White House, and you know Axios is saying no, it is the number one show, uh, and that and that Biden's very tuned in, and the guests are booked at certain times in order to get in front of Biden. You know, that, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, if you're going, in other words, if you're going to put a White House aide out there on TV, you better get him on at this time so that the president can see it and know that it happened. Um, you know, I, I had a couple of people come at me and say, you know, when when Trump was obsessed with Fox and Friends, you all made a big deal out of that. And I said, and and they, and they said, isn't this the same thing? And I said, here's why it's this. Here's why it's different. Yes, Biden li- likes to watch cable news. Uh, yes, he learns from Morning Joe. Yes, he seeks out Joe Scarborough's uh, advice. Uh, yes, he gets ideas sometimes from the show. What he doesn't do is he doesn't tweet out in all caps misinformation from what he's seeing on cable news. He is not screaming on social media about some lie that he heard on cable news. Um, Morning Joe is much more reality based than Fox and Friends. Like there's just fundamental differences. Uh, although it is, it is you know kind of interesting. It it set, it speaks volumes about our media environment that we've had two presidents in a row who are cable news junkies. Interesting, right? And by the way, Joe Biden also does not have. 10 minutes or a half an hour uh, once a week, whenever right. he wants it, right? <laughs> All that. Right. He doesn't call into the show in his pajamas or his sweatpants. Right. Okay. Although I'm certain you know, that maybe the host would like that, but 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 he's not doing that. I, I do think um, it it's an interesting, like you think about Morning Joe's Evolution, a program where Trump was calling in, a program where yes. there was a friendly relationship with Trump um, uh, for a little while during that first campaign. And now to a show that is as as, as critical uh, as Trump uh, as any, as any figure as any show on television, mm-hmm. and I think that that you know that probably appeals to Biden in a way. Um, you know that's that's you know those are people he wants to win over. You know, and, and people he wants to keep close. Uh, that may also um, speak to your point of getting to know Trump well and then uh, <laughs> not liking what you see. So uh, finally, I want to come back to your latest book. Uh, you are. Um, at least one of the experts, if not the expert on Fox News network of lies. Um, you know, there's a couple of things going. They've got competition now that they didn't have before. I don't know from OAN or or um, Newsmax, and they got over. They got through the Dominion lawsuit, which cost them an arm and a leg. But Smartmatic is still out there. What what's the shape of Fox News today? Um, are they as strong as ever? Are they hurting? Will they survive? What's your take? Look, as goes Fox, goes the right-wing media. So it's a critical question. I, I think Fox is essentially as strong as it's ever been, um, hmm. with, with a couple of exceptions. You know, Fo- Fox suffers from the same media trends as others. Uh, you know, the, in the advertising marketplace, in the cable subscription world where, where people are cutting the cord, it's been hard for Fox to develop uh, a new model on streaming you know they have something called fox nation you know they have they they have new episodes of cops you know they have like right-wing comedy shows or what they call comedy shows you know and so they've tried to launch a streaming service it has not it has not taken off so it's been you know they, they have some of the same challenges as other media businesses but they are still the beating heart of the gop and i think we can see that through the primary process People have tried to write Fox off. Uh, Michael Wolf came out with a book last year t- titled The Fall, claiming he's writing about the end of Fox News. And uh, and yet, look at what happened in the, the primary process. Donald Trump sought out Fox. Even you know, He likes to bitch yep. and moan about Fox's mm-hmm. coverage, but that proves he's watching. He sought out Fox, and so did Nikki Haley, and so did Ron DeSantis. They were doing back-to-back town halls three nights in a row on Fox. Um 
you know, the, the highest ratings that any candidate you know, was getting in the primary process. They were on Fox. Newsmax was barely a player in the primary process. OAN, you know, I don't even know how to find it anymore. There are lots of these streaming things like OAN, Right Side Broadcasting. There's a lot. Lindell TV, you know. Uh, there's a lot of these things that exist, but none of them uh, draw the audience of Fox, not even close. And none of them played a role in the primary the way that Fox has. So I, I think the primary has reaffirmed that Fox is still on top. And, uh, um, you know, w- w- what's notable, I guess, is what kind of calculations are the Murdochs making about what, what should Fox be? You know, how mm-hmm. far right? How far does it, you know, w- will, it, will it fall in line if Trump lies about the election results again? And because of Dominion, Fox might have to be a little more careful. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, as you said, Smartmatic is looming. Smartmatic is not gonna you know accept a hundred million dollar settlement they, they want a lot of money out of fox and that case is proceeding there are shareholder lawsuits as well so the the dark clouds of 2020 are going to hang over fox even during the 2024 election well brian stelt there, there is nothing that we journalists like to talk about more than uh, ourselves and about journalism <laughs> <laughs> and there's nobody better to have that conversation with than with you so thanks so much for all your good work And thanks especially for joining us again today on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks, Brian. Great talking with you. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with Brian Stelter. Uh, So have a great week, everybody. And we'll be back on Friday with our roundtable, reporters roundtable. Boy, lots and lots of cover already. Uh, We'll be looking forward to talking about on Friday. We got the caucuses uh, in Nevada for what they count. Not very much. Uh, The House is going to vote probably to impeach uh, Homeland Security Secretary uh, Alejandro Mahorcas, and the Senate's going to have that that great big vote. Chuck Schumer calls it one of the most important votes in a long time on the new border package, which includes funding for Ukraine and Israel. All of that we'll be talking about on Friday's roundtable. You don't want to miss it. So again, have a good week. Come back and see us on Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, our reporters roundtable. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 